Please be seated. By the way, the reason we say, this is the word of God, and you all say, that's because we sing together, we pray together, and we're thankful together that God has seen fit to speak to us in his word. So we're very thankful that God has given us his holy, inspired, all-sufficient, life-giving word. Let's pray now as we contemplate the words of this very, very, very famous psalm. Father, we are so thankful for the words of Psalm 23. Father, I know that so many of us here this morning have this psalm memorized, and we're, we often think, well, what more can I learn from this psalm? Father, I pray that in light of our familiarity with this psalm, that you would say new things to us this morning. Father, we confess that nothing good will happen in our hearts and lives unless you send your Spirit now. So we pray you would send the Spirit to give each one of us the gift of understanding so that we may understand this psalm, apply it to our lives, and worship you because of the truths found in this psalm. And we pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. There is an epidemic that is sweeping across our land. The symptoms may include fatigue, restlessness, sweating, lack of concentration, racing thoughts, hypervigilance, irritability, insomnia, nausea, palpitations, depression, OCD, and panic attacks. These symptoms may arise suddenly and be chronic or crippling. This epidemic affects nearly everything, relationships, sleep, diet, uh, muscle tension, blood pressure, digestion, and many other things. What is this epidemic? Anxiety. According to one source, anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the U.S., affecting 40 million adults annually. Every year, Americans spend billions, literally billions of dollars on drugs and counseling and books to overcome anxiety. And anxiety affects all of us to some extent, doesn't it? We worry about the economy, politics, loss of freedom, our health, disappointing people, rejection, our jobs, our kids, our money, our kids' sports. Yesterday I sat at the Central Park Racquet Club from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. watching my son play tennis. It was a tournament. And I'm sitting there. I watched four matches yesterday. And the whole time, I'm anxious. <laughs> and I thought, I'm about to preach on Psalm 23 tomorrow. Lord, help me not be anxious about my son's tennis match, which is such a trivial thing. But all of us struggle with anxiety to some extent, don't we? I've actually realized I don't like watching my son play tennis because I get too nervous. I want him to win too badly. Anxiety is a plague that leaves nearly everyone affected. What do we do in light of our anxiety? Well, Psalm 23 is a fantastic psalm of trust. The opposite of anxiety is trust. And this psalm gives us many, many reasons to trust God. I want to highlight three of those reasons this morning. God provides God protects, and God pursues. In light of that, you and I, as Christians, should be totally free of anxiety. If we really believe that God provides, God protects, and God pursues, what is there to be worried about? Answer, nothing. 
Let's look at this amazing psalm. Why should we trust God? First, God provides. Now, King David, the author of the psalm, lived, as many of you know, around 1000 BC. Before he was a king, he was a shepherd for many, many years, and he understood the importance of shepherding, and he understood, more specifically, the importance of providing well for the sheep. As he writes this psalm, he is, of course, describing the great shepherd. And the great shepherd provides us with many things, like what? He provides the sheep with food and water. Look with me at Psalm 23, verses 1 and 2. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. In the ancient Near East, green pastures were rare because it was so hot and dry. Furthermore, the green grass was only found in certain seasons. So the shepherd's constant job was to search for green pastures to make sure that the sheep had food to eat and would not die. He was dead set on finding as much green grass as possible, no matter what it cost him. In contrast, God's sheep lie down in green pastures because they have ample provision. They don't have to frantically search for grass to eat because God is constantly providing them with green grass and water to drink. God is a great provider. He provides his sheep with food and water. And hasn't this been your experience? God's a good provider. The great shepherd provides food and water. In addition, the great shepherd provides rest, which we need so desperately. Verse 2. He makes me, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Often the sheep, you and me, work ourselves to the bone, and God at times makes us, often in painful ways, to lie down and rest. Why? Because rest is good. And God, the great shepherd, provides us with rest. In addition, the great shepherd provides restoration for our souls. Look with me at verse 3. David simply says that he, the great shepherd, restores my soul. Again, David wrote this psalm, and if you read David's life, you realize very quickly that David was by no means a perfect man. David sinned all the time, like all of us do. Yet every time he sinned, he cried out to God for mercy, and God provided him with mercy and forgiveness and grace, thus restoring his soul. The great shepherd also provides spiritual direction for his sheep. Verse 3 again, he restores my soul. <clears throat> he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. God provides his sheep with direction. He leads us in paths of righteousness. How does he do that? Through the sacred scriptures. God loves us so much. He loves the sheep so much that he provides us with constant direction and guidance through the Holy Scriptures. God provides food, water, rest, restoration, and spiritual direction. In other words, God provides abundantly for his sheep. The great shepherd is a fantastic provider. Roger Federer, as many of you know, is considered one of the greatest tennis players of all time. 
At the peak of his career, he'd won 20 Grand Slams, making him the all-time greatest. He had nearly every record in men's tennis for about 10 years until Novak Djokovic broke those records. But he, in his career, made an amazing amount of money. Uh, his career prize money is $600 million. Actually, that's his career earnings. That includes endorsements and prize money. He's doing okay. He's surviving, okay? Roger uh, married a, a Swiss lady named Mirka, also a professional tennis player. And together, Roger and Mirka have two sets of identical twins. <clears throat> now imagine this scenario for a moment with me. Uh, according to most people, Roger and Mirka are wonderful parents. They love their kids. They provide for their kids. Imagine one day, Roger is driving home from the tennis courts in his Lamborghini. On the side of the road, he sees one of his daughters, who's 14 years old, and she has a lemonade stand. So he pulls up the lemonade stand, hits the button, the doors come open on the Lamborghini. He steps out and says to his daughter, sweetheart, why are you selling lemonade? And she says through tears, Dad, I'm worried about food to eat. I'm worried about where I'm going to sleep tonight. I'm worried about paying for college in four years. Now, what do you think Roger would say to his daughter in that moment? Daughter, are you serious? I'm worth $600 million, and I love you. I provided for you in the past, I provide for you now, and I will provide for you in the future. I love providing for you and have the resources to provide all that you need. Roger would be offended that his daughter was worried about food and clothing and paying for college tuition. How do you think the great shepherd the maker of the universe feels when we worry about him providing for us. <laughs> he thinks, are you kidding me? Look around you. Look at the cosmos. I created all this. I'm incredibly powerful. I'm generous. I'm rich. And I'm full of mercy. And I love providing for you. Why are you worried about food and water and clothes and cars and houses? I'm the great shepherd. I have all the resources I need to provide for you. Now look with me at verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Which means I shall lack nothing. Since the great shepherd is a great provider, he'll make sure that you lack nothing that he knows you need. If there's something he knows you need... He'll provide it. But here's the thing. Often what we think we need and what God knows we need are very different things. If you need a spouse, God will give it to you. If you need a new business partner, if you need to pass chemistry, if you need that promotion, if you need better health, if you need friends, if you need to close that sale, if you need money for medical bills, if you need more income, God will provide. 
Now, how does the good shepherd determine what you need? He asks this simple question. Here's the question. What does this person need to make them more like Jesus? What do they need to make them more like Jesus? And again, often what we think we need is not what we need. If it was up to most boys under the age of 11, they'd wake up in the morning and have a huge bowl of Lucky Charms. Then they'd play video games for the next four hours. They'd take a break for lunch, eat some Oreos uh, and some prime energy drink, good healthy lunch. Then they'd play video games the next five hours, take a break for dinner, have some ramen and some Red Bull, and then play more video games for the next six hours. Now, most good parents would realize that's not what their boys need. What their boys need is vitamin W and vitamin N. Work and no. Essential vitamins for kids. Right, kids? Because we love our children, we give them what we know they need, not what they think they need. They will lack nothing from us. In a similar sense, God the Great Shepherd knows what we need, and he promises to give that to us. If I understand that God provides for me, but I worry about bad things happening to me. That brings us to the second point. First, God provides. Second, God protects. God provides and God protects. Look with me at Psalm 23, 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff they comfort me. Shepherds would lead their sheep into valleys to find grass and water. Unfortunately, valleys were a fantastic hiding place for lions and wolves, which is why this valley is called the Valley of the Shadow of Death. Literally, in Hebrew, uh, this valley is called the Canyon of Death Darkness. Who wants to go to that place? Raise your hand. Okay, if you're raising your hand, you're crazy. All right? Death was sometimes used in Hebrew as a superlative. When we say someone is dead tired or dead right, we mean they're really tired or they're really right. In a similar sense, um, the canyon of death darkness means a very dark, very deep, very scary canyon. The valley of the shadow of death is a dangerous and scary place to be for the sheep and for you and for me. But these sheep are not afraid because the great shepherd is with them. He's present to protect with a rod and with a staff. If the shepherd is with us, if he's simply with us, that gives us enough comfort to know that he is able to protect us. We can survive in the deepest, darkest valleys knowing the great shepherd is near. Which raises the question, what deep, dark valleys are you in this week? Maybe it's the valley of chronic pain 
or bereavement or rejection or depression or broken relationships or guilt and condemnation or addiction or unemployment or cancer or diabetes. If you haven't been in a deep, dark valley yet, just live a little bit longer. Life is full of pain and suffering. I remember when I was a seminary student sitting in chapel as a young 24-year-old, and there was a speaker there who was a pastor of a large church in the South, and this pastor was a, a, a grizzled, seasoned pastor, probably in his 60s, been around the block a few times, and he preached this psalm, and he said, most of you are too young to experience deep, dark valleys, and I was offended. I thought, that's ageism. (laughs) I'm 24. (laughs) But he was right. He was right. The longer you live, the more heartache and pain and brokenness you see. Just 10 years later, I had a child who was diagnosed with brain cancer. That was my first deep, dark valley in life. If you live long enough, you'll live You'll experience the pain and suffering of deep, dark valleys. When we're in those valleys, who's going to protect us? Every year, the FBI posts its list of the most dangerous cities in the U.S. Places like East St. Louis, Baltimore, Maryland, Memphis, Tennessee, Camden, New Jersey, Pittsburgh, and then a particular section of Detroit, On the top of this list is a neighborhood in Detroit at the intersection of West Warren Avenue and McKinley Street. Your odds of being a victim of a violent crime in this neighborhood are 1 in 13. Now imagine that your job takes you to a convention center in the heart of this neighborhood next week. It's late at night. The convention gets out. Everyone leaves the area. All your coworkers are gone. And your car won't start. And your phone is dead. No more battery power. And you've got to get from that area three or four miles away to your hotel. You've got to walk through one of the most dangerous neighborhoods in America. Now, keep in mind that this neighborhood has some of the worst gang violence in North America. And recently, there were 17 deaths in one week in this neighborhood. Would you be scared to walk through this neighborhood on your own, late at night, in the dark, no gun, no mace, just you. Would you be scared? This is a deep, dark valley. But what if I told you you would be accompanied by all the members of SEAL Team 6? Nearly 2,000 of the most elite warriors in the world, although Delta Force would disagree with that, but most folks think that Navy SEAL Team 6 are the most elite warriors in the world. 500 in front, 500 behind, 500 right, 500 left. These soldiers have the best weaponry in the world, they're the most well-trained, they've got air support, just a radio call away. Would you now be scared to walk through this neighborhood in Detroit, accompanied by SEAL Team 6. In the presence of SEAL Team 6, would you be afraid? 
would you be afraid? Of course not. Yet, we have the great shepherd with us at all times. He's always with us. And he is far, 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 three fars, more powerful than SEAL Team 6. He is the God of angel armies. And he is always with us to protect us from harm. Listen to verse 4 again. I will fear no evil. Really? No evil? Like, no evil? I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. If we know that God is always with us, present with us to protect us, we have nothing to fear. We don't have to fear any evil. I can think of a lot of evil right now. You probably can too. But Psalm 23 argues that God is with us in those deep, dark valleys. We have nothing to fear. He will protect us. Okay, Dave, I get it. God provides. God protects. But I'm worried about making it until the end. Will I survive until I die? Will I persevere until the end? That brings us to the third and final point. God provides. God protects. And third, God pursues. Well, what does God pursue specifically? God pursues. The great shepherd pursues friendship. Look with me at verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. In verse 5, the metaphor changes. Verses 1 to 4, the psalmist is talking about God as the great shepherd. Now, God is described as a host. He goes from shepherd to host. And as a host, he is providing this amazing feast for the sheep. And he invites the sheep to come and enjoy him in this extravagant feast that he, as the great host, has created for his sheep. And feasting was very important in the ancient Near East, much more so than it is today. Feasting created a bond of loyalty and friendship. It could even be the final um, act of sealing a covenant together. And the feast described in verse 5 is a lavish feast, no ordinary feast. How do we know? Because in verse 5 we read that this cup is going to overflow with abundant provision, lavishness, generosity. And the point here is simply this. The great shepherd has invited David to come and feast with him. He's pursuing David. He's pursuing, more importantly, friendship with David. He wants to wine and feast and fellowship with David. He wants to be David's friend. Again, going back to my seminary years, my wife and I hardly had any money. And so one Christmas, we couldn't afford to fly home to Spokane from St. Louis. And so this wonderful couple heard about our financial predicament. And we hardly knew this couple at all, but they invited us into their home for their annual Christmas feast. We show up at the Epps home, and there's this incredible spread of food, turkey and mashed potatoes and gravy, all the Christmas food, Christmas dessert. 
Their whole family was there. They invited us to be a part of their family, and they hardly knew us at all. And at the end, they surprised us by giving us very lavish gifts, gift cards and books and other things. Why? Why did they invite us to this feast? Because they wanted to pursue friendship with us. If you're a Christian this morning, it's because God, the great shepherd, wants to pursue friendship with you, which is amazing. The maker of all things wants to be your friend. He wants to feast with you. But it gets even better. God will never, ever stop pursuing us, his sheep. What does God pursue? Friendship. How long will God pursue us? The answer is forever. Forever. Verse 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David argues that God will never, ever stop pursuing him. How long will God's goodness and mercy follow David? He says, all the days of his life. And that word for follow is translated from a Hebrew word that means to pursue aggressively and persistently. God will aggressively and persistently pursue David and all of his sheep all the days of our lives, all the way until we get to heaven. Because Psalm 6 says, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever, forever. He'll pursue us until we are feasting with him in the new heavens and the new earth. And that wonderful feast is described for us in great detail in Isaiah 25, 6 to 8. This is describing the the great eschatological end times feast that all the saints will experience as they sup with the great shepherd. Isaiah 25, 6. On this mountain... The Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people He will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. When you've been around long enough, and you've seen enough people, friends and family, fall away from the faith, you often wonder, am I going to make it? The longer I pastor, the more I pray the simple prayer, Lord, just help me finish the race. Help me finish the race. I heard of a pastor who recently gave a talk, and he said when he was a young pastor, he really, really wanted to build a megachurch. He wanted to be known as a successful pastor, a wise pastor, a skilled pastor. Then 20 years in, he wanted to be known as a faithful pastor. 40 years in, He just wanted to finish the race because he'd seen so many of his friends stumble and fall. We wonder, will we make it? 
If it depends on us, we're in big trouble, aren't we? But the great shepherd promises to pursue us all the days of our lives, forever and ever and ever. My confidence to persevere rests solely in the great shepherd, not in my goodness, not in my strength, not in my discipline. I'm hoping and praying that God will pursue me all the days of his life, and the great shepherd promises to do that. Therefore, there is ample reason to trust him, to trust him. Why should we trust God? God provides, God protects, and God pursues. Look with me again at verse 1. The psalmist writes, the Lord is my shepherd. Notice that he says, the Lord is my shepherd. Not a shepherd, or my parent's shepherd, or my friend's shepherd, or my sibling's shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. He's my shepherd. And this morning, can you say that? The Lord is my shepherd. I know him personally. 1,000 years after David penned this famous psalm, the great shepherd came to earth. And of course, his name is Jesus. Listen to John 10, 14 to 15. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd for many reasons, but the main reason is simply this. He's the good shepherd because he voluntarily lays down his life for the sheep. Friends, anxiety is not just inconvenient and hard for us. Anxiety is sin that separates us from God's presence. Yet the good shepherd came, lived a perfect life, suffered and died on the cross. For who? For all the anxious sinners out there. He suffered and died for them. So the sin of anxiety and every other sin you would ever commit would be washed away in the blood of the great shepherd. He came, he lived, he died, and he rose from the grave to ensure that all of our sins would be removed so that we could have relationship with him, the great shepherd. Is this shepherd worthy of our trust? Absolutely. If he offered up himself on the cross, what good thing will he withhold from us? And the answer is nothing. Nothing. And the cross of Christ proves that beyond all reasonable doubt. Does this mean that life will be easy if we know the great shepherd? No. He does not promise us an easy life. But he does promise to provide for us, to protect us, and to pursue us. Plus, the presence of the great shepherd in our lives helps us now. When you can truly say that Jesus Christ, the great shepherd, is your greatest treasure, you'll be free from anxiety. Why? Because anxiety primarily is caused by the fear of losing something. If I lose this money, 
or this friendship, or this job, or this house, or my spouse, or my child from cancer. If I lose those things, I'll be devastated, and so we're fearful, aren't we? But if we have Jesus, we have everything we need and more. We could lose everything and still be anxiety-free if we have Jesus. Jesus plus nothing equals, equals everything. The question is, do we believe that this morning? <laughs> do we believe that? If we have the great shepherd with us, present with us at all times, we have everything we need to not be anxious. Let me close with some amazing news. The great shepherd wants to be your shepherd. He wants to help you deal with anxiety. He wants to forgive all your sins, and he wants to be your friend. Again, the question is, do you know him? Can you say, the great shepherd is my shepherd? Well, how do we get to know the shepherd? We have to humble ourselves and admit that our sin, even the sin of anxiety, separates us from him. And we have to turn to him and say, God, forgive me for all my sins. Please come and forgive me and dwell inside of me and change me. That's it. We simply turn away from our sins and trust Jesus. That's all we have to do. It's that simple. It's that free. And when you do that, the great shepherd becomes your shepherd. Let's pray together.